Well, happy Mother's Day. Um, Joy and I were reflecting on this week on a mother's love, and it's just profound when you think about what moms will go through when they think about their kids and what and how much they love their children no matter what with this unconditional love, and it's profound. Moms are an amazing invention um, by our God and an amazing illustration of his love for us in all sorts of ways. And, and also, I want to acknowledge, too, that I know Mother's Day can be a very painful and difficult thing. When you watch kind of a sappy video like this, there can be kind of a, a sadness that kind of raises up. We, we, I want to just acknowledge that here as well and know that our church... Uh, uh, aches for you and, and also wants to encourage you that God is here with you and he is a source of healing and love and his grace is sufficient. And so if you are experiencing, experiencing pain or if Mother's Day can be painful, we just want to encourage you to embrace God and seek after his grace and his healing and in your church community as well. Um, he, he will be here for you. But happy Mother's Day to all and uh, um, uh, I hope dads, you got, you got a, big, uh, a big day ahead here. So so do well to show love to, uh, to your wife and to your mom as well. So, freedom. We're going to continue our series on freedom. And, and as we've been talking for the last several weeks, we've been making the point that um, in, with, when it comes to freedom, we are talking about the things that we are free from, such as addiction, such as legalism, and then moving into freedom too. And like what Ryan talked about, freedom from debt. Well, we freedom to, to live in freedom with our money and, and to live uh, without the, the, the chains of that. So we've been having this continual message around this. Well, I want to make a little bit of an adjustment to that today. I'm going to talk about something, this one thing that keeps you from or causes you to. And so I'm going to give you a little quiz this morning. I want you to, I want you to see if you can identify what exactly I'm talking about. This one thing keeps you from celebrating other people's success. It keeps you from initiating an apology when you're wrong. It keeps you from initiating an apology when you're a little wrong. It keeps you from admitting you've lost. It keeps you from admitting weakness. It keeps you from admitting that you need help. This one thing keeps you from uh, admitting you don't know what you're doing, even when everyone else knows that you don't know what you're doing. It's the one thing that causes you to power up when you should be opening up. It's the one thing that causes you to cheat before you lose. It's the one thing that causes you to lie about your past. It's the one thing that... Um, oh. Let's close in prayer. It's pride. <laughs> and this, this isn't the kind of pride where, where, you're simply, where, where you're simply proud of your kids and you're proud of your mom and you're proud of your company and you're proud of your church. This isn't the kind of inspiring pride that makes you do well or seek excellence. It's not that kind of pride. It's, the, it's this kind of pride that it shuts you in and keeps others out. I don't know if we can go back to, to where I was at. If you, there's a, a slide that just says pride on it, where I was going to give away the answer. Perfect. Thank you. <clears throat> and uh, so pride. So we're actually going to spend two weeks on talking about freedom 
from pride. And, and, and when I get to the next slide, you'll see why we're going to spend this. Now, this sermon today, this part one on pride, I'm relying heavily on Andy Stanley's uh, teaching on this because I thought it was extremely clear, and I want to make sure we are very, very clear on where we are when it comes to pride. And then next week, we'll go deeper in how we can live confidently, with confidence, but not be prideful because that's a hard line to walk. So let's talk first about pride and get really clear on it. C.S. Lewis has this quote that says this, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. It is in you. It is in me. And we are victims of it from those around us. And we also perpetuate it ourselves. Pride is insidious. It shows up in so many different ways, in so many different forms. And also, pride is very difficult to see in ourselves. Almost impossible to identify in ourselves. And like I said, it shows up in many different forms. I remember years ago, I heard a sermon by John Piper. And he pointed out something I had never noticed before, uh, but then have been, it's, it's, it's one of those sermons that has stuck with you for a long time, or a message that's stuck with you for a long time. And it was this one, uh, he talks about how self-pity is a form of pride. Self-pity is a form of pride, which, which seems a bit counterintuitive. It seems like, as though that sort of thing, you, you seem like you're weak or like you're, you're sad. But, and why would that be prideful? Usually, when you're prideful, you're boastful. You're boasting. You're, you're kind of powering up. You're, that, that's typically how we see pride, self-pity. But, like I said, boasting is the response typically to success. But with self-pity, it's the response of pride to suffering. When we, diff, when we struggle with pride and we're suffering... What results, what comes out of us is self-pity. It's this intense focus on ourselves and say, to, to look at ourselves and say, look, I, look at me, I'm suffering so badly. I am the only one doing this one thing. Pity me. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I've achieved so much. But self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I have suffered so much. Pride shows up in many different forms, in many different ways, and it's difficult to see. And it even shows up in ways that we don't expect, like, for example, self-pity. Boasting is the the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. Pride is the source of many vices and shows up in many different ways. And it's difficult to spot sometimes, especially in ourselves. But the one critical thing I want to make today, point I want to make today, is that pride diminishes you in so many different ways. Pride has the capacity to, we, we think pride typically builds us up, puffs us up, makes us bigger, makes us more attractive, makes us more, uh, you know, like look like we're bigger than anybody else, but actually pride diminishes you. Pride diminishes your capacity to admit maybe that you're weak or that you did something wrong or you said something wrong. Pride diminishes your capacity to apologize for doing something wrong. And pride diminishes your capacity to acknowledge. For example, there may be people in your life that are dying to hear that you love them. Or that you care for them. 
And, and pride can stop us from that acknowledgement. Pride diminishes our capacity to say what needs to be said. Oftentimes, sons or daughters will not know if their dad or their mom loves them or cares or is proud of them. And they just would love to hear one day that, they, that mom or dad would share this with them. That I love you or I'm proud of you. Pride does this. It, it shuts us in. It pushes people out. Pride prevents us from hearing what needs to be heard. There are sometimes when pride can, can prevent us from hearing what other people are trying to get to say to us. They're trying to break through this pride wall in our life and, and they're trying to speak these messages to you, but they're blocked by pride. Pride prevents our capacity, it, keeps, it lowers our capacity to hear what we need to hear. And also, pride prevents us from giving what we need to give. It's, it's a very emotional thing, isn't it? I mean, think about it. When you're on the precipice of like, I have to, I, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. And I'm, I am arguing this point that's already been, the, the, the rug's been pulled out from underneath this argument, but I'm going to stick with it. There's like this emotional side of you that's just saying, yeah, just keep going. Don't, don't give in. Don't admit weakness. Don't admit that you're wrong. You need to stand your ground. I know this feeling. Like, I, I can see the right thing to do. I can see the right action, but pride tells me no. There's like this emotional barrier, this emotional wall. And it shuts me in. It isolates me. It separates me from other people, and it shuts them out. How, how many times do you hear a story about kids who, like, I just wish I knew how much my parents love me. How much they're proud of me. If, this, if they would only just share this thing. Pride reduces your capacity to love and also to receive love. Pride crowds people out. Pride pushes people to the periphery. When you are full of you, there's no room for anybody else. This is the situation where you walk into the room and people feel like they're just pressed up against the walls. And there's no room for them. They just take, this person just takes the air out of the room. This is the situation where you feel like you have to walk around on eggshells. Like you feel like you're on eggshells around this person. It crowds people out. Pride deprioritizes people. It, it just, suddenly they are the only one that matters. Their opinion is the only one that matters. And it just takes away any value from anybody else in the whole room. And also, pride crowds God out. David says in Psalm 10 this, he says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Pride has this impact where it actually crowds God out. Now, um, I've... In the last few years, and I've mentioned this in previous sermons, I've been uh, pulled into situations with people who have a very strong aversion to, to the idea of God. They're atheists, or they, they don't believe that God exists. <clears throat> and 
Uh, I've, I've found the whole, the, the, the entire interaction that I've had with them to be very interesting. And a lot of times they have, they have statements or questions that they have for me that I have a hard time answering. They give reasons for why they don't believe in God. And it's oftentimes I'm sitting there going, yeah, it's a great point. I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Um, and, and maybe you, maybe you too, maybe you have, have your intellect is such that you have reasons why you don't believe God exists. And that, that, and, and we may not be able to answer all those questions. There's some things that you may not get answers to on this earth. But I want to draw attention to, to how pride can play into that mix. Because I've seen it. I've seen it online. Like when, when there are online debates about whether God exists, a lot of times objectivity and, and rationality gets thrown out because pride is in the way of actually any, any objective conversation. So if you find yourself in the place where your intellect prevents you from believing in God, that you may not believe in God for a certain set of reasons. But do a little self-analysis. Have you found that your intellect also crowds out the most important people in your life? Have you found that your intellect actually crowds out people, not just God, but crowds out friends, family? If that's the case, you don't have an intellect problem with believing in God, you have a pride problem. Pride can keep you from understanding and seeing that God exists. Pride also is preventing good and strong relationships in your life. So I can, I can, take, the, I can take the questions, I can take the reasons, but, but let's take a self, a real honest look at where pride plays itself out there. <clears throat> now, I, I know this mindset, I've experienced this mindset, you probably don't like me right now for saying that sort of thing. But it's really the truth is your pride, your pride and not your intellect is keeping you from God in many different cases. The next point is that pride, pride is a prison. Pride, again, shuts us out from relationships with people and it shuts other people out. And it also shuts God out. And no one, no one would want, want to live like this. No one sets out to say, I want a, on my funeral... For, for my kids and my family to get up and say, we don't really know if this guy really loved us. We don't, you know, he, he never apologized. It was, it was always his way or the highway. No one, no one wants this. We don't want this. We don't want to be uh, continually controlled by our pride when we sit back and think about it. We don't want pride to continually push ourselves out or push people out of our lives. But it's there. It's, 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 it's there every single day. I, I, I feel it. I feel I'm, I'm constantly in situations where I can see how pride wants me to go in a direction where I am the highest priority. Where, where being right is the most important thing. And I'm not going to admit faults. And I'm not going to apologize because, well, because I want to look good. It's, it's real, isn't it? And Jesus, Jesus, when he invites us to follow him, he's basically inviting us to unfollow pride. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he demonstrated a model, a radically liberating model of humility. He showed us what humility is like. He, he walked into a world where there was a tremendous, there, was, there were all sorts of messages of what God is like. All sorts of messages of what mattered most. And he came in and he said, here's what greatness is. He redefined greatness to be this. 
Greatness is how well you serve other people. Greatness is found in the level and the degree that you serve other people. This was mind-blowing. This was, this was a whole different paradigm of thinking. He also said this, the meek shall inherit the earth. And I think of Pastor Paul, oftentimes when he talks about meek, he talks about there's the, the, being meek is to ignore the impulse of fight or flight, where you come into a situation and either you lash out at that, in that situation or you run away and you run away from the situation. No, you, he says meekness is when you stand, when you stand in, in, that, in the tension, when you stand in the difficulty, when you stand for what's true, when you stand even if it would hurt your reputation, when you stand even if pride says run or pride says fight. Meek shall inherit the earth. I don't really know what that means, but, but it's, it's, apparently it's very important. <laughs> the, that, that this is something that, that Jesus in the Beatitudes says very clearly. The meek shall inherit the earth. There's, there's an inheritance of a kingdom that's coming that the meek are going to have a big, big important role to play in it. He also demonstrated greatness by washing his disciples' feet. And if you just take a moment and think about feet... And think about what it means to touch other people's feet. I'm trying to gross you out right now. Because that's what he did. The creator of the universe got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his creation. He redefined greatness in such a radical and powerful way. He did it. And if you don't hear anything else of this sermon... If, 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 you're, if you've lost track, if I've already lost you, can you just come back for one second? Because I want to make one point. That I think is, if we could just do this one thing, I think it would change our church in many different ways. It would change our relationships in many different ways. And it's this, that Jesus initiated reconciliation. You see, there are oftentimes we're in situations where something went south. In our relationships with other people. So there was that, there was the conversation. There was the the comment that was made. There was the fight, the disagreement. There was that thing that occurred. And there's a break in the relationship. And we stand our ground on our ends of the break. And we wait for someone to move. And we know situations, I know situations where it's been years and no one's moved. Brothers, sisters, grandparents, moms, dads, significant friendships. There's been a break. Something was said. Maybe it was years ago and no one's moved. Jesus initiated. He pushed past the pride and he went right to reconciliation. He demonstrated this radical humility where it didn't matter if, if maybe he was wrong or, he, or he's going to look weak in this. It, what mattered most was that the relationship would be reconciled. And he initiated. Jesus was right. He was perfectly right. Yet he was wronged. And he could have just said, you know, forget you, creation. Forget you, human beings. But instead he initiated reconciliation. When pride says wait, this is an Andyism. When pride says wait, Jesus says initiate. 
Imagine if our church, Chapel Hill Church, we became, this is a mantra for us. When there are breaks, because there's going to be breaks in relationships, when that happens, when something's said and there's a separation, we hear pride say, wait. We hear pride say, oh no, they were so wrong. And we yet hear the words of Jesus, initiate, initiate. Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, um, picked this up. He, he, you know, he writes tw- about 20 years after Christ. He's thinking about, reflecting on how Jesus dealt with relationships. And he said this. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, Christ Jesus. This is a challenging statement right there in itself. Think about what Jesus did for relationships. Think about the the extent that he went through, the position he came down from in order to have union and oneness with his creation. It's incredible. And so Paul picks it up. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, the creator of all things, I can't, ex- I, I, this is mind-blowing. This is, this is, if you stop and reflect on the amount of uh, levels that Jesus had to come down to to be in human likeness, it's astounding. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You know, I think of situations like at work. Sometimes, there will be people that I work with who have terrible attitudes, who are only out for themselves, who are just trying to do whatever it takes to level themselves up. They will throw you under the bus. They will stab you in the back. And Jesus had the same experience, times a billion. And he humbled himself. And he served those people. He chose to serve. When he could have powered up, when he could have broke the relationship and just kept it that way. No. He initiated. He served. He humbled himself. How far? How far? We know how far. By becoming obedient to death. And all God's asking for us to do is apologize. All God's asking for us to do is to, to, to say the right thing, to acknowledge our love for people. All God's asking us to do is just maybe shut up. Obedient to death. He went all the way to death, even death on a cross. And so the call this morning is this, to follow me. This is Jesus' call to you is to follow me. Follow me into this radical model of humility. One where we choose to serve, even if, even if, even if, we choose to serve those, maybe those difficult people in our life. Where we, where we take Christ's uh, lead on initiating, when, when, when no one's initiating, when no one's leading to reconciliation, we decide, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to initiate reconciliation with this person. You know, my prayer for this, this service is that, that perhaps 
perhaps some relationships would be restored as you have the courage to initiate reconciliation with those broken relationships in your life. Imagine God applauding that. Imagine him saying, there's my son, there's my daughter, following me into initiating reconciliation. Because here's the alternative. The alternative is just being continually controlled by pride. Pride is your master. Pride just tells you what to do. Pride says, wait. Pride says, let them initiate. Pride says, let them serve me. Pride says, I don't deserve this, that, you know, I, I deserve better. And what does that do to our friends and our families? Do you really want pride to control you in your life? How long? How long? Jesus says, follow me. I want you to embrace radical humility. So, let's wrap it with this. Three questions. Take some time to reflect, and then we'll talk more about this next week. I know you're real excited about that. How does pride manifest itself in you? How does pride show up in your life? I talked about self-pity. Is that something that you struggle with? you find yourself operating in a mode where you're continually in self-pity? Where you want people to admire you for how much you're suffering? Do you find yourself in a place where you don't say what needs to be said? Where you struggle to admit or to apologize? How does pride manifest itself in you? For me, I know there's, there's several ways. The one that came, comes to mind for me right away is that I, I love ideas, and when things don't go my way, I often will be passive-aggressive or maybe even somewhat aggressive in my response to that. It, I can feel it. Whenever there's like, like, I think we should go this way. I think we should do this thing. This is a better idea. And then for, you know, whoever I'm working with says, no, we're going to go this way. There's this part of me that just like goes, ah! It's like this emotional reaction that I just want to not follow Christ in how my reaction is. That that's one way. There are several others that I, I can see how I will often just go silent. When I don't like something, I just, I'm passive aggressive. Pride just says, you know what, I, hold, I, I, will, I will hold other people in contempt. I'll go silent. How does pride manifest itself in you? Can you feel it? Can you sense those times when emotionally pride is telling you to shut down or to, or to consider yourself above others? How about this? What, what, what does pride masquerade as in you? Sometimes it's confidence, but you're not confident, you're just arrogant. Sometimes it's sarcasm. There, you know, sometimes we can get so prideful that we're just constantly dealing out this amazing, hilarious, sarcastic quotes, but really there's a, there's a pride element behind it. What is it? How does it masquerade itself in you? And this is more of a rhetorical question, the last one, is how much longer, how much longer are you going to allow pride to control you? How much longer are you going to let pride decide how you're going to react? How much longer are you going to allow pride to, to, to isolate you from your, your relationships, from your friends and your family? 
I want to encourage you this morning to stand up to pride. The Bible says, you know, one of the things we've been struggling with with this, this series, at least you know, we've been talking about, is how, how can we talk about freedom in terms of relying on the power of God? Relying on what, on what Jesus can do for us. Instead of just saying, okay, here's Chapel Hill, you just need to try harder to get free. And, we, and, and I know Paul's one of, the, one of the things that Paul said right off the bat in this series is, we don't want to just give more people things to do. We want to talk about how God's power can break through in your life and bring tremendous freedom into your life. That, that's what we want to we illustrate, because we've seen that happen over and over again, that when Jesus comes and frees people, true freedom occurs. However, in this case, several times throughout the Bible, there is a command that says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. This is something that God calls us to do. And so, when we hear pride speak to us and says, wait, or says, don't apologize, or says, you know, don't share how much you love somebody else because it's going to make you look weak or small. When, it, when, when, when pride lies to us, we, we instead say, no. No, I'm going to humble myself. Pride, you are not my master. Pride, you are not my warden. Pride, you are not my boss. Pride, you're not my boyfriend. And then we say, look, here's the situation, pride. You're telling me not to apologize. I'm going to go apologize. Kapow! Kapow! Take that, pride. Pride, you're telling me not to tell my, my son or my daughter how much I love them. Watch this, pride. I love you. I'm proud of you. Watch this pride. I've made a mistake. And I, you know, I could probably let this thing go. I could probably let this slide. I could probably, they wouldn't even notice. But watch this pride. I'm going to go admit it. I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Hey, pride. I hear you telling me not to admit my addiction. I hear you pride saying, you can handle this, man. You can handle this. You can, you don't need an, anyone's help. Just, just give yourself a few more days, a few more weeks. And you say, no, I'm going to admit this. I'm going to get some help. Take that pride. Take that. That's what we need. Humble yourself. Stop listening to the messages that pride is giving you today and say this. I'm not going to hide behind my pride. I am going to move on. Here's the question. Why would you follow something that has the potential to kill you? It's already killing your relationships. It's already hurting the people around you. Why would you follow something that if you take it to its logical end, if you just keep following it, it will kill you? And why not follow someone who chose to die for you instead and follow his way? Jesus' radical approach to humility has the power to set you free from your pride has the power to restore relationships, has the power to bring tremendous joy to your life. So let's close in prayer this morning. I'm going to have the ushers come forward, and we're going to close our service um, in worship. Father in heaven, thank you for your son Jesus and his amazing example his amazing demonstration and modeling of a radical form of humility. God, we are challenged by this. We are amazed by all the temptations and all the struggles that that he experienced yet chose 
the humble path. God, we've, we've heard that Philippians verse so many times before. But help us again, Lord, to be amazed, deeply amazed by how you humbled yourself and made yourself a servant. God, we sense and we, we can tell you are calling us to follow you in this. Lord, I, I, th- I reflect on this next song we're going to sing, Only King Forever. And I'm amazed that we get to call you king. That this is the heart of our king. Not a, that our king is not prideful. Our king is not a proud king. Our king is a humble king. Our king is a king of love. Our king is a king of grace. Our king is a king of mercy. Our king humbled himself even to the point to death. Even death on a cross. Thank you, God, for this reminder today. Um, show us where we need to kill pride in our life. Help us to, to, uh, to humble ourselves. Give us the strength to do that. It's very difficult to do that, Lord. But, but God, help us to not be impressed by the lies that pride tells us or the, or the pictures that pride paints for us. Help us to be impressed more by your, by your amazing radical humility and that we would then follow you into that, God. Go with us today, Lord. We worship you, our King. In Jesus' name, amen.